everyone, I'm Deputy Editor Lorraine Lawson and welcome to The Buzz from Bank Automation News where we explore how automation and emerging technology is transforming the banking industry. This is our weekly wrap for what's happening in the industry this week. And before beginning, I'd like to give a big thanks to band sponsors and advertisers Glia and Velate. Thank you for your support. I'm pleased to be joined by Associate Editor Aaron Marsh, and I would like to introduce our new Associate Editor, Elijah Poindexter. Elijah is also the Editor-in-Chief and Co-Founder of WGMO Network, a web startup with a focus on creative sports writing. Welcome, Elijah. Hello, hello. Thank you so much uh, for the kind introduction, Lorraine. And, uh, you know, you guys have made it such a seamless transition over the past, you know, kind of hectic holiday weeks. But uh, I came in at a good time. We had a good week of Canadian earnings uh, that came out this week. And there's certainly, you know, a lot to talk about. So thank you. And uh, hello, everybody out there. Yes. And if you're listening, it is December 3rd, 2021. And sort of here are the biggest news items from our editorial team this past week. Goldman Sachs launched Amazon-backed financial cloud service. The big six Canadian banks did have this earnings, uh, their earnings report this week, as you mentioned, with several technology revolutions coming out of that. Revelations, sorry. Uh, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commissioner Chairman Gary Gensler says cryptocurrency as an asset class won't survive unless it's properly regulated. So let's look briefly at the Goldman Sachs news. On Tuesday, Goldman Sachs announced it's partnering with Amazon Web Services. This was coming out of their Reignite conference um, with Amazon Web Services where they made a slew of announcements. But this is a cloud-based solution that will help financial services firms gain insight into data analytics for investment decisions. And it's really a data analytics tool for financial institutions, heads hedge funds, and asset managers. Clients will also get access to some of Goldman Sachs' curated data and AWS computing power, so we covered that. Sort of two things going on here that I think are interesting and probably going to be big trends in financial services in general. First is uh, Goldman Sachs has really done this using microservices, which are, uh, you know, small breaking down functions uh, in finance and making them available to others through the web. Uh, John, I, t- I spoke with John Kane, AWS's head of worldwide business and market development efforts for banking and capital markets. And he said he, this is definitely a trend he's seeing with financial institutions to sort of break down those functions and also to be able to build apps, new apps with these microservices. So for instance, you no longer have to make your own KYC solution. There's probably a microservice out there that you can tap into with an API. Um, another trend that I think this reflects is that um, more enterprises in general are spending on infrastructure as a service. Uh, Gartner has reported that it grew by 35%, reaching $130 billion, while spending on software and hardware fell by 6% to under $90 billion. So this is a huge shift for organizations, and I think that banks will be getting into this. Uh, Gartner predicts that by 2024, 45% of technology spend will shift from internal service and other infrastructure to cloud services. And I think Amazon is going to get a huge piece of that, although, of course, there are other players like Google and Microsoft, Azure. Any thoughts on that, guys? (laughs) Lorraine, you know, I'll jump in on that, too, because we've we've got something coming up in a a sort of a similar thread. Um, there's a study that, um, that, that I'm going to explore a little bit next week, and we've got a number of parties to weigh in on this that um, I'll sort of give you a spoiler alert. It looks at, at multi-cloud networking and how 
um, organizations of a certain size. I think it's we're looking at like a thousand or more employees. So that's a sort of a fairly sizable organization that and, and this includes banks and financial institutions that right now within the next two years, there's a there's a very sizable percentage that are looking at moving to multi-cloud networking situations. Maybe they, you know, they have a cloud provider, uh, a cloud-based provider for this solution. We have another one and we're bringing in these multiple cloud, multi-cloud situations. Um, but what's interesting is that that's within the next two years. But then after that, so we move beyond that, it, it goes dramatically upward. So it goes from about maybe like, you know, 47% half uh, or, or 50% of these entities are looking to move to a multi-cloud networking situation. Um, it goes to like nine out of 10. Um, and as you, as you move toward such an implementation, um, there are sort of a number of things that can go wrong. So we're going to be taking a look at that and, and looking at you know, the opportunities there and some of the challenges uh, therein. So um, we're going to take an additional look at that. So wait for that one. It, it is interesting. Another thing John Kane mentioned was that uh, I sort of pressured him on this. Like, is it just large banks that are doing this? And he said, you know, they definitely see fintechs, small startups using their services as well. So I don't think it's going to be restricted to just those large organizations, although I do wonder about community and sort of regional banks where they will stand with this. It's like you said, they might be, you know, smaller in size and maybe the, the payoff isn't as great or maybe there's a hesitation to move things to the cloud. Um, I think multi-tenant cloud makes sense for a lot of companies, but that does sort of involve a private cloud typically. So, and there's additional costs with that, of course. There's also the question in my mind, and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out with like how much you want to depend on these big technology players, because sometimes they do pull the rug on offerings. Now, I don't think they'll do that with infrastructure. That's too big a play for them. But uh, with microservices, you know, there was there were some banks that got burned when Google shut down its uh, Google Pay um, because they had built out solutions on that or started to and, and Google shut it down. Uh, because somebody left the organization. So it should be interesting. Um, this was a big week for Canadian earning calls with all big six financial institutions reporting. Technology played a significant role in many of those calls. What did we learn? Elijah, you covered the National Bank of Canada. What did you see happening there? Yeah, so uh, National Bank of Canada, they had their Q4 and year-end earnings call uh, back on Wednesday. Uh, and it was a super strong, I mean, I mean, there's no way around it. It was very strong uh, Q4 for National Bank of Canada and a pretty solid year, uh, you know, year overall. Uh, but where I think the greatest, you know, uh, point of interest is for NBC at this point uh, is their sort of their fintech uh, angle. Uh, just recently, back in September, uh, National Bank of Canada acquired um, Flinks. And for those of you who do not know, Flinks is a fintech, you know, financial data aggregator based in Canada. So they have all sorts of financial data uh, and they are linked to over 250 fintechs in the US and Canadian market. So this is extremely big. And, and you know, sort of the, the jive on this, the spin on this is that it'll give NBC a key, you know, a key reach into the open banking market. Uh, and open banking, you know, according to the people in the call from National Bank of Canada uh, is very much still in its infancy in Canada. And uh, it's still very much in its infancy worldwide. But this, th you know, this is kind of their first stake into that market. This will allow, you know, internal and external developers alike uh, to go in there and access APIs, create tools, create apps, uh, create all that good stuff. Um, and it'll sort of make financial data accessible 
uh, in a secure uh, you know, digital environment. So uh, this, it's very big. And I think National Bank of Canada, you know, on the financial side, they, they're, you know, they're at a pretty good point right now. Uh, but when it comes to the tech side as well, the banking automation side, uh, they certainly are looking good from that perspective. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what they do in 2022. Yeah, again, with the microservices and building out new products and offerings, um, interesting play. Aaron, you covered, I believe, TD Bank and the Royal Bank of Canada. They always do interesting things with technology. What did you learn? Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to get to, we're still still on the way to TD Bank, so look for that to come. But the but RBC had um, had their, their call as well. And, um, you know, once again, it, it looked like a solid quarter for them. Um, one of the things that, that I sort of noticed is the, uh, you know, year over year, you know, fourth quarter 2021 um, and, and looking at 2020, um, revenues increased in the low double digits, something like, I think like 10.7%, but like 10 to 11%. So revenue was up um, 10 to 11%, but they, they kept more of it um, because, you know, net income ended up you know, increasing almost 20%. It was like 19.9%. So there's some efficiencies going on there. Um, and that was, you know, that, that seems like part of their strategy, you know, that, we, that we, we heard several times is that they're going to, they expect, you know, um, IT spend to, to increase um, and they're looking to drive efficiencies and, and productivity gains. Um, but they're also looking to, uh, to, to enhance that, that digital customer experience and sales capabilities. And one of the things that they have to kind of show for it, and this was a, a point that, that I don't think was, was brought out that strongly, and, and, and it's, it should be more of a focus. They have a tool called uh, My Advisor, um, and it's, a, it's like a digital platform uh, uh, financial advisory tool. Um, it's free to RBC um, you know, customers. They can, they can go and, and launch this and sort of just brings together all their accounts, like, you know, savings account, investment accounts, loans, and they get sort of a, a single view of that. And they can do some financial um, scenario planning and, and, and look at some, uh, you know, look at savings and things like that. So it's a financial advisor tool and also it allows them to connect to, um, you know, e- either do virtual, um, you know, video chats um, with financial advisors or schedule an in-person meeting and so on. That they launched that in, um, in 2017. And so it took them three years to kind of get to a critical mass. They had to go and dig around to find this information. But at this time last year, they had, had just tipped over 2 million users of that. So it took them like three, three years to get to that point to about 2 million. But then over the last year, um, they kind of spiked that up about 50%. Now, they've, now they're almost at 3 million. So over this last year, uh, they kind of, you know, getting some traction and, and, and picking up a little momentum there. So they're going to, you know, it seems like some of these these investments and that focus on the digital experience um, and capabilities, it's starting to uh, starting to show. And I think that's I think we're going to see that into the next year. Yeah, I would agree. I covered uh, Scotiabank, CIBC, which is the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. And then today I heard from the Bank of Montreal and very similar findings that they all have uh, sort of personal advisory investment tools that they have rolled out maybe three years ago, maybe just last year, some of them. And they're starting to see returns on those. And digital is increasing across the board for Canadian banks. They report on that. So that was interesting to see digital engagement is up, uh, digital transactions, and not just transactions like you think about, but also doing deposits online. So that was definitely a strong technology trend that we saw. 
an interesting thing. I've, I've, I thought I never thought I would hear a bank actually say this out loud, but Scotiabank's CFO did say that their uh, digital and automation efforts led to closing 10% of its branches, branches and a full-time reduction staff. And part of the reason they admitted to that is because they had a $28 million restructuring charge related to that. So that was an interesting piece. Um, also, C, CB, CIBC outlined um, what they considered disintermediate dis, dis, risk technology trends and how those relate to banks. And I thought it was interesting. Um, you're kind of seeing two reactions to crypto and blockchain and AI, and, and it's, it sort of falls into the Let's see how we can leverage crypto. But they pointed out, you know, this is a this is a bit of a risk to banks. It's disruptive, um, and crypto could potentially take away opportunities for the banks in terms of uh, it. It provides a way for people to invest without going through a bank right now. So it it sort of put that under the risk category, which I thought was interesting. Um, and it, it saw, it, I mean, I saw the positives too. It pointed out that automation and artificial intelligence uh, present both challenges and opportunities. And so the bank is investing in AI and talked about that a little bit. So on a related note, here in the U.S., Securities and Exchange Commissioner Chairman Gary Gensler said that crypto as an asset class won't survive unless it's properly regulated. So does that surprise us? What's the, what's the reaction there, Aaron? Oh, yeah. Now, that was, that was an interesting setup, Lorraine. Um, this was at the, the Digital Asset Compliance and Market Integrity Summit in New York um, on Thursday morning, I believe. And what, what a setup. It was this discussion between you know, current uh, SEC Chairman Gary Gensler and former SEC Chairman Jay Clayton. And, you know, first of all, they, they obviously had some differing opinions on this, uh, whereas Jay Clayton was kind of like, hey, this is, this is promising technology. Um, a lot could come of it, you know, maybe. And he, and he seemed to have more of a, like a laissez-faire, you know, hands-off kind of a, uh, an attitude. It, at least that was my impression. Whereas Gensler was not mincing any words. He, you know, very, very uh, straightly said this is, an investment asset class, um, and it should be regulated like an, an investment, like a security. Um, and and he, he seemed to, uh, to just be very clear that it meets that definition and it needs that regulation. And that right now, this, uh, you know, what he, what he referred to as a global $2.6 trillion market in cryptocurrency now, um, that this does is, this is not have adequate oversight. And what's going to happen if we don't do it um, he said there's, you know, he, he referred to it as a as a um, a spill in aisle three. But um, but, he, you know, what he and they later called that a financial stability event. So that sounds a little more serious when you put it that way. And he said that that could come um, at the, you know, at, at the act from the actions of either fraudsters or good actors in this space. You know, maybe somebody could just sort of slip up or mess up and that something was going to happen. And the result of this was going to be that investors face harm and trust in cryptocurrency would be undermined. And then once that trust, once you lose that, um, this is toast. You know, people are going to pull out of it and, and you have a sort of a house of cards here. As it, so you sort of painted it as um, and this could this could well crumble. So um, I think um, it was probably some of the most you know, straightforward remarks we've heard from from the chairman. And he's usually not shy. 
about his his views on this. But this was this was a very straight conversation. But I think, you know, that said, that said, the setup itself, you can take something from it between Jay Clayton and Gary Gensler and, and their differing views. What we've seen since we published that article is is some very mixed feedback where some people say, hey, you know what, I agree here. And someone said, this is bad. You know, your hands off. It's the, this this uh, this market has survived and grown to its point now without your meddling, you know, uh, sector, you know, the, and, and so on. So it's, there are some very, very uh, polarized views in this space. And, and it's it's um, it's very interesting to watch now as this unfolds. And we're going to we're going to continue to do that, I think, into into the next week. Yeah, that's kind of an age-old political battle, too, I think, not to wax too much into politics, but when I heard from the OCC previous director, or he was the deputy director at Money 2020, uh, he was very laissez-faire as well, and I, I think, you know, that's, like I said, an age-old political battle of do we regulate or do we not, and how how involved do you want to be in a capitalist society and in these things, so um, definitely interesting to think about it through that lens as well. But um, here's a look ahead at some of the stories we're working on. We've discussed some of the stories. Um, Aaron, do you want to talk a little bit about what you're working on for next week? Yeah, I've got a bunch of things in the hopper to, to look for. One of them, uh, we'll, be, we'll be taking a look at, um, at the use of AI or applications of AI for credit unions um, and some of the opportunities there and the, and the big challenges that they face. We're going to take a look at that, um, as well as wait for this one because it's, it's in the works. We're looking at... El Salvador's Banco, uh, Banco Agricola, um, and their implementation of, we're talking about cryptocurrency, this is them implementing uh, as, by directed, as directed by their laws, um, implementing Bitcoin as a payment in about three months' time. So they had to look at that a- after this, this law came down and they had to now implement this. We, you know, we sort of uh, dissect that a little bit and look at what they put in place to make that, make that happen. Elijah, what about you? What are you working on for next week or looking into? Yeah, so uh, just recently, uh, ITAN America Group released a joint uh, study with CPPO, which is Canada's biggest sort of payment analyst group. Uh, and it just kind of delves into what are the trends in automated payments in 2021, moving forward into 2022. And uh, I spoke with some really deep subject matter experts on that. Uh, and I'm going to have a super exciting article about that. Uh, IDC also released a study uh, just recently this uh, past November. Uh, going into advice for technology buyers. We'll have something about that Thursday or Friday. Uh, and as well, Interac, just recently, Canada's largest payment processor, recently sort of formed a partnership with Microsoft Azure, or Azure and I, I always have trouble pronouncing that, but uh, that, that partnership will certainly be lucrative for a lot of people. Uh, and it's, and, you know, that cloud capability, which is so, so important as we move forward, uh, will certainly make the payment landscape up in the great white north a little bit more interesting going into 2022. So a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Yeah, Canada's really hitting it this this month. Um, interesting technology trends going on there. Thank you so much for joining us for the weekly wrap on The Buzz. Don't forget to attend our Bank Automation Summit March 1st through 2nd in Charlotte, North Carolina. You can learn more about that at bankautomationsummit.com. For more podcast content, check out bankautomationnews.com and search The Buzz from Bank Automation News on iTunes and Spotify. Thank you.